hello again and welcome. As you know, my name's Jeremiah and I've been a prophet since the age of 17. I began prophesying during the reign of King Josiah. After him, King Jehoahaz only lasted three months. He was, he was taken into Egypt and died. King Jehoiakim lasted 11 years. I had a rough time during his reign. He, he was taken into Babylon and he died there. Jehoiakim only lasted for three months and he was taken to Babylon, but he was looked after well there and he was given a pension and was allowed to eat with Nebuchadnezzar sometimes. And thousands of the people of Judah were there in exile with Jehoiakim as king, including Daniel and Ezekiel. And I wrote to the exiles telling them to settle down there for 70 years. Meantime, the Babylonians had replaced Jehoiakim with Zedekiah. Zedekiah was the 20th king of Judah, although strictly speaking he was the 19th because there was one queen. See if you can find her name. I made a wooden yoke and I told King Nebuchadnezzar he had to submit to the king of Babylon and to his son and to his son for three generations of Babylonian kings. But ultimately, after 70 years, the people of Judah would be able to return to their land. Now, Nebuchadnezzar was laying siege to Jerusalem, and I knew that Jerusalem was going to fall. Let me read to you from 2 Kings, chapter 25. Now, Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. So in the ninth year of Zedekiah's reign, on the tenth day of the tenth month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, marched against Jerusalem with his whole army. He camped outside the city and built siege works all around it. The city was kept under siege until the eleventh year of the king, the eleventh year of King Zedekiah. By the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine in the city had become so severe that there was no food for the people to eat. Then the city walls broken through, and the whole army fled at night through the gate between the two walls near the king's garden, though the Babylonians were surrounding the city. They fled towards the Arabah, but the Babylonian army pursued the king and overtook him in the plains of Jericho. All his soldiers were separated from him and scattered, and he was captured. So I knew that the city was going to fall, but nobody believed me. And during the siege, there was a lull. There were a few months when the Babylonian army lifted the siege. This was because the pharaoh from Egypt decided he wanted to give the king of Babylon a bloody nose. And he marched an army up towards Judah in order to attack the Babylonian army. And so the siege was lifted for a while. And during that siege, two things happened. At that time, I was free to come and go. And I decided to go back to my home village of Anathoth to sort out a property problem there. Some money, had been, some property had been left to me and I wanted to go there to sort it out. Guess what? I got arrested. Chapter 37. Zedekiah, son of Josiah, was made king of Judah by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. He reigned in place of Jehoiakim, son of Jehoiakim. Neither he nor his attendants, nor the people of the land, paid any attention to the words the Lord had spoken through Jeremiah the prophet. King Zedekiah, however, sent Jehuchel with the priest Zephaniah 
to Jeremiah the prophet with this message, please pray to the Lord our God for us. Now Jeremiah was free to come and go among the people, for he had not yet been put in prison. Pharaoh's army had marched out of Egypt, and when the Babylonians who were besieging Jerusalem heard the report about them, they withdrew from Jerusalem. So during that withdrawal by the Babylonian army, I tried to leave the city to go out there and to get this land purchase sorted out. Meanwhile, Zedekiah had sent messengers to me to ask me to pray for him. I, I, I thought this was a bit of a cheek, really. I mean, he'd never listened to a word I'd said. And as you can see shortly, he's quite happy to have me put into prison. But nevertheless, I told him straight, I was being John Blunt again. Look at verse 8. I said, this, then the Babylonians will return, attack this city. They will capture it and burn it down. I knew that this siege would resume and it would be successful. But I, during the lull, I, I, I went out, or I tried to go to my home village of Anathoth to get this property dispute sorted out. I only got as far as the Benjamin Gate in the wall of Jerusalem, and I was arrested. What for? Desertion. No, no, I protested. Here in chapter 37, I wasn't deserting to the Babylonians. I was going to sort out a property issue. But I was thrown into prison, into a vaulted cell, into a dungeon. They beat me and they placed me in this dungeon. There was no daylight. There were no fellow prisoners. There wasn't much food. The smell was offensive. And I was there for some time. And then in verse 17, King Zedekiah sent for me and he said, Please, pretty please, pretty please, may I have a word from the Lord, if you don't mind? Here was Zedekiah being floppy, as he always was, trying to get some kind of reassurance from the Lord that all was going to be well. He wanted me to say, peace, peace, when there was going to be no peace. And I said to him in verse 17, you will be handed over to the king of Babylon. Diplomacy wasn't my strongest suit. I would have made a very poor politician in your day. I pointed out in verse 18, I hadn't committed any crimes. And I pointed out in verse 19 that all his prophets, including Hananiah, remember him who died after two months? Even Hananiah, their prophecies had let him down and had never come true. But I pleaded with the king in verse 20, please don't send me back to the dungeon. If I go back to that dungeon, I will die. And Zedekiah agreed and he sent me to the courtyard of the royal guard and provided me with food every day. Well, so far, so good, I suppose. I was under arrest, yes. I was in custody, yes. But I was in the courtyard of the king's guard, which was better than being in that dungeon where I certainly would have died from starvation. Under the law of Moses, slaves had a right to be set free every six years, and also during the 50th year, during the year of Jubilee. That law had been widely disregarded. When the siege of Jerusalem began, Zedekiah and the nobles released all their slaves. They thought we were going to lose anyway. We might as well lose our slaves. But when this lull in the siege took place and the Babylonian army disappeared in order to deal with Egypt, they re-enslaved these people. They recaptured them. They, did, they renounced the emancipation and they captured them again as slaves. And as you can imagine, 
the Lord was furious about this. It was a morally shoddy and shabby thing to do. Well, the Lord was going to bring the Babylonians back and he did bring the Babylonians back. And I told Zedekiah he would be handed over to them and that Jerusalem and all the towns in Judah would be destroyed by arson. Meanwhile, remember, I'd been moved from that dungeon prison and I'd been moved into the courtyard of the guard where I am in custody, but at least I can see fresh air and breathe fresh air uh, 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 and, and I'm being fed. Remember that property matter which I tried to sort out? It hadn't got sorted out, but while I was in prison, confined in the courtyard of the guard, I had a word of knowledge. And I was told that one of my relatives, whose name was Hanamel, was going to come to me and tell me to buy that field after all. And that's exactly what happened. Hanamel did come to see me. You can find it in chapter 32 of my book. He did come to see me and, he, uh, and I was able to purchase that land, even though I was in custody. There were no coins in those days, so I paid seven ounces or 200 grams of silver for this land and I made two copies of the deeds. One was sealed and one was left open for reference and I gave the deeds to my friend and secretary Baruch and told him to put them in a clay jar because as you know from the Dead Sea Scrolls that scrolls kept in a dry climate could last for thousands of years. Now you're thinking to yourself what a strange thing to do. Here am I Jeremiah always saying that the people were going to be punished for their sinfulness and that the Lord was going to ensure that Jerusalem fell and the exiles were going to be taken away into Babylon. Now I'm buying a piece of property. What on earth is going on? Have I lost my marbles? Why am I buying property when I know that the city is going to fall? For this reason, it was another prophetic sign. Once the exile was over, once people returned to Jerusalem, commerce, trade and business would go back to normal. The buying and selling of land would resume. Verse 15 of chapter 32. For this is what the Lord Almighty says, houses, fields and vineyards will again be bought in this land. It was a prophetic sign for hope, not optimism, Hope. You know the difference between optimism and pessimism? The pessimist says, things can't get any worse. And the optimist says, oh yes they can. I was offering hope. The hope of a return from exile. God's plans to give them a future. God's plans to repopulate Jerusalem, to rebuild the walls, to restore temple worship, and to bring in a new covenant. And I shared in prayer to the Lord in chapter 32, verse 17. Chapter 32, verse 17. After I had given the deed of purchase to Barak, son of Neriah, I prayed to the Lord, Our sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. You show love to thousands, but bring the punishment for the parents' sins into the laps of their children after them. Great and mighty God, whose name is the Lord Almighty, great are your purposes and mighty are your deeds. Your eyes are open to the ways of all mankind. 
You reward each person according to their conduct and as their deeds deserve. Some of you may remember a song we used to sing in the 1980s. Our Lord God, thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thy great power. Our Lord God, thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thine outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for thee. This passage is where that song comes from. It's based on Jeremiah 32, verse 17. This prayer is in three parts, and it makes a great pattern for prayer. The first part, verses 17 to 19, praise God for what God is. God is sovereign. God is great. God has power. Nothing is too hard for God. God has love and mercy. And then in verses 20 to 24, he praises God for what God has done. He speaks of God's mighty deeds, God's signs and wonders, and having delivered the people from Egypt and having given them this land. And then in verse 25, he praises God for what God is going to do. It's a good pattern for prayer, praising God for what God is, for what God has done, and for what God is going to do. When Jeremiah says that nothing is too hard for you, He's speaking of the almightiness of God or the omnipotence of God. We as followers of Jesus don't believe that God can do anything. We don't believe God can sin. We don't believe God can lie. We don't believe that God can contradict himself. But we do believe that God can do whatever he wants to do. And God wanted to bring the people back. God wanted to restore commerce and trade and business in Judah. God wanted to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. God wanted temple worship to be restored. God wanted to bring in a new covenant. This was not going to be too hard for God. I was offering them hope. H-O-P-E. Hanging on past empty. Well, things got a bit worse for me in chapter 38 of my book. Shephatiah, Jehuchel and Pashar heard what Jeremiah was telling all the people when he said, this is what the Lord says, whoever stays in this city will die by the sword, famine or plague, but whoever goes over to the Babylonians will live. They will escape with their lives. They will live. And this is what the Lord says, this city will certainly be given into the hands of the army of the king of Babylon who will capture it. Then the officials said to the king, this man shall be put to death. He's discouraging the soldiers who are left in this city, as well as all the people, by the things he's saying to them. This man is not seeking the good of these people, but their ruin. He's in your hands, King Zedekiah answered. The king can do nothing to oppose you. They said my preaching was counterproductive to morale. Well, yes, it was, I suppose, because I was encouraging the people to submit to the yoke of Babylon, not to fight against it. They said my my preaching was counterproductive to good politics. But this weak and wobbly King Zedekiah handed me over to these officials. These officials wanted to get rid of me. They wanted me in prison or then wanted me dead. And so the king handed me over to them. And they threw me down this cistern in chapter 38. Now a cistern was like a well. It had a long, narrow neck, which they squeezed me down. And then there was a globe at the bottom of clay. Wet, muddy clay, damp and soggy. It was impossible to climb out. And I would have starved in that cistern had I stayed there. But I had a friend there in chapter 38 called Ebed Melik. He was an Ethiopian. Do you remember Acts chapter 8? Acts chapter 8, the Ethiopian 
who was converted to Christ by the preaching of Philip. Well, here's an Ethiopian in the Old Testament helping me, Jeremiah. He went to the king and asked for permission to rescue me. And Zedekiah, weak and wobbly as always, said yes this time. Uh, and I was glad. And so Ebed Melik got some friends and they got some ropes and they lowered the ropes down to me and I put them under my arms uh, and they dragged me out. And in verse 14 of chapter 38, Zedekiah asked to see me for the second time. He said, I'm going to ask you something. Do not hide anything from me. And he swore an oath in verse 16 not to kill me. And I told him in verse 17, if you surrender, your life will be spared. If you surrender, this city will not be burnt down. But if you will not surrender, the city will be burnt down. If you will not surrender, you will not escape from their hands. Not the message Zedekiah wanted to hear, but it was the message I've been preaching since my beginning, the beginning of my time as a prophet. And then I told a white lie. Does that surprise you? Let me read from chapter 38, verse 24. Then Zedekiah said to Jeremiah, Do not let anyone know about this conversation, or you may die. If the officials hear that I talked with you, and they come to you and say, Tell us what you said to the king and what the king said to you. Do not hide it from us, or we will kill you. Then tell them, I was pleading with the king not to send me back to Jonathan's house to die there. All the officials did come to Jeremiah and question him, and he told them everything the king had ordered him to say. So they said no more to him, for no one had heard his conversation with the king, and Jeremiah remained in the courtyard of the guard until the day Jerusalem was captured. The Bible is always frank about the faults of its heroes, and you may be surprised to read about a prophet of the Lord telling a white lie. Now let me come out of roll and just recap what we've visited today. In chapter 37, we saw how I set out from Jerusalem to buy a property. I was arrested and thrown into a dungeon. But later the king assigned me to the courtyard of the guard. And in chapter 32, while in custody, I, I, I bought a field as a sign of hope that commerce was going to return to Judah. And I prayed my model prayer. And then in chapter... Chapter 38, I was thrown into a muddy cistern where I could have died and drowned or starved, but I was rescued by a friend and then the king returned me to custody. So some takeaways. What can we get out of these chapters? Firstly, we see that prophets spoke truth to power regardless of consequences. Jeremiah didn't hold his punches. He told the truth. When the king kept asking him for good news, he gave him the bad news because he knew that judgment was coming on the people. Think of Jesus. Jesus spoke truth to power. Think of the way Jesus spoke to Herod, the king. Think of how he spoke to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and to Caiaphas and to Pilate. Jesus spoke truth to power. We can also learn something from these stories about integrity. The lack of integrity that the nobles showed when they thought they could release the slaves when they were going to lose the slaves anyway and then re-enslave them when they thought uh, they were going to win. They had no integrity. They behaved in a morally repugnant way and in a way that was repugnant to God. 
Jesus wouldn't do that, would he? Jesus wouldn't do that. The heart is very deceitful, and we see that deceitfulness in the way these slaves were treated. In chapter 17, verse 9, Jeremiah says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? The message translates it, The heart is hopelessly dark and deceitful, a puzzle that no one can figure out. Didn't Jesus say something almost the same? Out of a person's heart, evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance and folly. All these things come from inside and defile a person. Jesus teaches us about the deceitfulness of our hearts. And of course, when the Bible speaks of our hearts, it means the control centre of our being, where our thoughts are and where we take our decisions. The world offers this advice. It says, follow your heart. For a follower of Jesus, that is a disastrous piece of advice. You only follow your heart at your peril. Those who seek to follow the Lord follow the Bible. They follow what God teaches in the word of God. They follow the words of the Lord Jesus. So if you have a decision to make or some dilemma in front of you, if there's something in the Bible that will guide you, then be guided by God's word and remember that your heart is deceitful above all things, beyond cure, who can figure it out? And then there's that model prayer and how like the Lord's prayer it was. He praised God for who God is, our Father in heaven, who's a king and who has a will and provides food. And then he praised God for what God had done And we have been provided our food, our daily bread and and, and forgiveness of our sins. And then he praised God for what God was going to do. And we pray in the Lord's Prayer that we may be delivered from evil. So we can use Jeremiah's prayer as a model for our prayers. And then the idea of hope. At long last, Jeremiah was offering hope to the people by buying that piece of land as a sign that normal commerce and life was going to be restored to Judah. Hope, hang on, past empty. The people were in despair, but Jeremiah knew that a new relationship and a new covenant was coming. The grace of God was around the corner and would soon arrive. I hope these thoughts from Jeremiah's book have been a help to you today. God bless you all. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye.